This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Inclusive Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hadley, and with me today is Nadia Butt. Nadia, how are you? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. We're here, episode three, season episode finale. Three. No, oh. no, we're doing more. We're doing more of these? Yeah, we're doing more because that's what the people want. The people want it. Awesome. Well, we, we got to give the people what we want. Today on the Inclusive Collective, Nadia, you know that we are going to talk about marriage. Oh. No, no, not, we're, not, we're not talking about my marriage or any potential suitors for Ooh, you, Nadia. For me? We're still focused on DEI and startups. Yes. But it turns out that understanding marriage is the key to understanding one of the most important aspects of a startup, and mm. that is the relationship between founders. Okay. You see, when two or three or four people get together and they say, we want to go into business together, what they're really saying is, we want to work on a problem and build this company together for, at minimum, get this, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably five to six years, more likely oh, wow, 10 yeah. on average. Yeah. What they're saying is, we agree to share a small space. We agree to consult each other on all our decisions. We agree to bring other people into the company. That's uh, the children part of the analogy, if you didn't catch that. <laughs> or or the, the pets. The pets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Important thing in any relationship, right? Okay. Uh, this is why so many have likened the relationship between founders with a marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And, and the, the dynamics that are experienced by people entering into uh, a, a marriage relationship or a romantic relationship. <laughs> okay. uh, so, so have you thought of startup founders this way, Nadia? I have, you know, and it, um, what kind of comes to my mind is obviously the dynamic um, between the founders, the co-founders, the founding team, but it's also, you know, when you look closely and kind of like peel back the layers, it's the interpersonal like connections, it's the behaviors, it's things that are um, said from, uh, you know, are we using language like inclusive language and how are people kind of engaging with one another to really promote their idea, get their product marketed to a broad, you know, group of consumers and all of that really plays into representation, inclusion, equity. And so, yeah, of course, I think the founding team dynamic is so critical and important. 
And I also think it leads into how a culture is established, right? So Absolutely. you think of the behavior, right? Like you think of the behaviors and the norms, and that is that translates into company culture. And typically, I, I think what we're finding is many of the founders are these leaders and role modeling plays a big piece into this, into yeah, yeah. creating company culture. So, and you've you've taken all the positive aspects of it. Yeah. Really well, I think <laughs> okay. of the two things as well as as things that both can end badly if you do don't do some of the things that you're pointing out very yes. well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, today we'll explore startup founder relationships with our guests Prem Kumar and Andrew Gardner of Humanly.io. Prem and Andrew are co-founders of Humanly.io, a unified conversational AI for recruiting platform where automation and people work seamlessly together to service the most qualified, diverse applicant pool at scale. Prem and Andrew, welcome to the Inclusive Collective Podcast. We're so excited to have you. And the product that you have built, the company that you're building is so exciting and cool and really interesting to those who work in the field of DEI. So we won't be able to resist talking about the product and we'll keep going into it repeatedly. But we also have you here today together to talk about founding the company together and about founding team relationships. So I hope you're ready to really deeply examine your relationship. Thanks for having us. And so before we get into <laughs> that relationship and the relationship questions, let's talk about Humanly. Yeah, so we started Humanly about two and a half years ago. Uh, my, my background is primarily in, in HR tech. Um, I spent about 10 years at Microsoft working on a lot of our internal tools. Um, went to a company called Tiny Pulse where we focused on employee engagement. And it was really there that Andrew and I met and, and saw a need for, you know, there's a lot of great tools to source candidates, a lot of great tools to track candidates, but there wasn't something that was really helping the direct conversations you're having with your job candidates mm -hmm. be more effective, be more equitable. So we started Humanly really to, to help companies hire and retain at scale through, through more efficient, empathetic conversations with their job candidates, whether that's automating repetitive chats like a screening conversation a reference check or helping humans show up better in these zoom interviews when they're when they're interviewing job candidates were you see so specific so knowing that like you were building kind of looking at building like a product or software to kind of mitigate bias is that does that sound fair so i'm not on the tech side i'm more on like the the people practices side and um, it, it, you are too, in some senses, but I definitely don't have the tech background, but could you walk us through what your product would actually do if I was a recruiter, if I was someone that was recruiting from a, a pool of talent, how would that work? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll like, we'll take now as an example, if this was an interview happening over Zoom, I would get feedback that I'm talking over 150 words per minute because candidates where English is a second language would lose cognition by a certain amount, which isn't a fair interview. Um, so we can measure, are you bringing up, are, are the mechanics of how you were interviewing um, structured, consistent? Are you treating people fairly? Um, so with one of our customers, we sadly found female candidates were getting 10 minutes less to talk than their male counterparts. Um, so we can measure are the interviewers showing up on time? Does that change based on who they're talking to? Um, so really like unlocking the 
the data from the direct interview interaction and presenting it to companies, not to get people in trouble, but to show at a high level, here's some areas that you can improve and actually affect candidate conversion, affect sentiment and, and reduce bias. And and I will say the only thing I'll add to that is like, we're, we are taking quite a, a few cues kind of from the sales and marketing technology world, right? I think it's safe to say you talk to any HR or diversity professional, right? They're not necessarily always given the, the latest and greatest and best tools, right? And so I think, you know, looking at organizations like Gong and Chorus on the sales side, which is uncovering how sales reps are doing in their demos and what language is equating to better deals. And so like, but from an aggregate level, HR and diversity leaders haven't had the ability to be more effective, not just at the recruiter level, right? But even the hiring manager level, right? Because I think at the end of the day, everyone's trying to be the best version of themselves. Very few folks are inherently wanting to be biased in how they're interviewing and hiring, right? right? But they just haven't been given the tools or support to be the best version of who they are or who they want to be, whether that's, right. you know, the amount of training that hiring managers are getting around interviewing. I mean, you find a HR leader that's that gets more than one shot a year to train their hiring managers on how to interview, right? Those, those opportunities are few and far between. So part of the thesis is like, hey, how do we arm leadership with the data and the information they need to not just make those trainings more effective and, and they could better support their folks who are out on the front line having these direct, impactful conversations with candidates and impacting how the business is being viewed in the market how it's driving the bottom line of the business and all these other outcomes they're looking at. Right. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about your the dynamic of the two of you. I'd love to learn or hear if your upbringing or prior experiences, your education, like how you look at the world, if any of that has influenced your decisions on um, creating humanly. Like from, from my, I mean, I, I'd be the first to admit like when it comes to the the space we're playing in, like I am very fortunate with, you know, growing up in a middle-class Caucasian family, had support and went to college and had the ability to do everything that I could have dreamed of wanting to do, right? That not all folks are afforded the opportunity to do that, right? But I think when it comes to like, you know, life, life does create unique challenges. Like Prim and myself, we both have two kids and mortgages and going off and founding a business out of no like that you know it, it was challenging we had to go fundraise before we could even go full-time on the project oh, right yeah. and um and so weighing that you know prim didn't leave microsoft till he had his first kid who's now six right like the craziness of the kush leaving microsoft yeah. to then go start so like go to a startup like who yeah. would do that it's risky, right but um, right? yeah i'm now <laughs> yeah i'm not telling Prim's story i'm stealing his thunder <laughs> but yeah so, so i think like everyone has the why right everyone has those life experiences like the good life experiences and what you're fortunate with, as well as the challenges that you have to overcome to get to where you are. And that shapes how we are. It shapes the product we're building, the folks we're bringing along with us on the journey as well. But I'll let you jump in, Prane. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the commonality around, um, you know, having kids, and we also both have three-year-old daughters, we have six-year-old sons and three-year-old daughters. And when we found it humanly, don't have another kid because I'll have to have one too. And that, that'll my yeah. um, so I, I feel that, you know, that, like when I went into this, I was maybe a little later in life than, than some entrepreneurs. I'm um, not all, but, but some, um, and 
it wasn't really important to me that I wasn't working until 10 p.m. every night and 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 I had time with the family and I think by having a, another a co-founder that was in that similar situation and we do share some similar skill sets where if I need him to hop on a demo or or he needs me to hop on a demo or uh, with a customer or uh, because I maybe need to take my son to school like that that mutual shared experience and understanding is there so that that was really great and then the other thing I found in Andrew I've been um you know for the last 15 years working kind of not necessarily for my day job, but doing a lot on the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging side, starting from Microsoft. And I found that Andrew, um, while being kind of d- different than me in, in his upbringing, he definitely had the the compassion and he cared, cared and saw that more diverse teams are better teams. And he didn't have to be a person of color himself to, to understand that. So I, I think that that was the kind of a shared um, impact we wanted to create on the world, create better teams. And yeah, that, those are a couple of things that really stood out as we worked together, as, as well as with our, our third co-founder, Brian, as well. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. So you're talking about the connectedness the, and the, some of the values that you shared. What about okay. skill sets in terms of thinking about who you want to work with and who you want to build a company with? How did you tackle that? Was it just a very natural thing because you worked together before and you knew what the strengths were for each of you, as well as with your uh, third co-founder. How did you think about the heterogeneity of the skill sets that you were bringing into the founding team? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a brief one. Like g- generally, like when I hire, when I build teams, you know, I try and hire based on presence of strength versus lack of weakness. And I think that that, that presence of strength was very clear for each of us. Like a- Brian is very strong at coding. Um, Andrew is a great salesperson. I'd never sold before. I, I didn't even know, like, how, how do you create a contract? Like, what, what do we send them some DocuSign thing? Or so I was like trying to, trying to figure that out. Right. And, but I was really good at building product that, that it moved the needle for customers. So I think we all kind of had that unique kind of skill set that, that we brought and we recognized in each other. And, and then, you know, the weakness part, like, as we learn, like all of everyone has weaknesses, but we just didn't really focus much on that. We tried to really push the strengths. And and then if there are ways we can support through building a team around us um, to fill some of those gaps, we, we did that. And and we're pretty quick to, you know, write out those mission, vision, and values. Um, and, and we're now iterating on them. So it'll, it'll up, be updated, but um, I, I, we wanted to have kind of a, a common set of uh, like an operating system by how we how we run the company, how we build the company, how we hire, how we let go um, and whatnot. So that, that's been good. Uh, that's great. And I think for just one last kind of anecdote here to add in is like, I think everyone that thinks about a startup or thinks about doing a startup or starting a business, right? I think the default is always like, I need this like idea, right? Like the, I need this, you know, but like the reality on the ground, unless you're you know, there's very few and far between like, you know, we saw a presentation from the founders of Airbnb, right? Like that idea of being able to help people rent out their, like that is an idea, right? And, you know, but like for folks like us, like so much about taking from idea to making this thing a reality is everything else outside of the, it's execution, it's understanding your strengths and weaknesses to be able to find help where you need to, navigating these really difficult things, right? And like, like falling in love with just this idea, you're going to fall into the trap of not being able to build a holistic business, right? right? Yeah, that's a great, that that led me into, right? You're talking about navigating these difficult challenges, especially in the early days of the company, as you're trying to figure out what the product's going to be, who the customer is, what the problem is you're trying to solve is. 
so how do you navigate that? And we're talking about founder relationships. How do you think about uh, solving those problems together? How, are, are there times when there have been questions about the direction that you would go and how do you have those conversations so that you can move forward productively together? And I'll add on to that too, if you don't mind, like, have you folks had like an argument or a disagreement? And <laughs> I'm look at me, I'm all with the drama, but I'm like, I'm curious how you dealt with that. It, it seems like you've worked together. Normally I deal with it by just putting my phone on <laughs> silent, but um, no, no, I'm just, I'm just no, no. So um, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the, the common theme in, in our arguments a lot of times has to, a lot of it has to do with like how we're going to solve for the problem. But we all agree on the problem. We all agree that the, the customer is at the center and that, but we might have some disagreements around to get there. This is how we have to do it, or this is what we have to do. So I do think because the end game, the North Star is, is kind of in many of our in, in our eyes we don't change that it, the agreements are kind of the next level order of magnitude down which make them more manageable um, but yeah no there's there's certainly been you know I think we're generally respectful people but um, cer certainly been arguments and I think part of it is just learning how we communicate with each other so Brian for instance um, something as simple, um, you know, I, I know not to schedule meetings with him afternoon because he's really getting in the zone from a coding standpoint. Um, yeah. We we know, um, you know, when to slack each other, when to call, um, is our Sundays okay to call? So I think by getting rid of those artificial things that might escalate disagreements, we can now kind of attack a disagreement at an intellectual level and, and come out with a, 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 an outcome that hopefully is good. It might not be in the right direction, but we also have a kind of a bias towards action. So even if we don't a hundred percent agree, like we know that it isn't about who's right. It's about, are we doing the right thing for the customer? And, and sometimes that involves having to make a quick decision and, and then kind of supporting each other, even if, if we got the decision wrong. And I think there's definitely, I mean, honestly, like a mutual, not just, I feel like respect doesn't even do justice, right? In the sense that like, I see everything Prem and Bryant do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I know sure as hell I'm not the one that could go and do that. And I probably don't know another person in the world that would be doing a better job at doing what they're doing, right? And so when we look at each other, like I've never once had a doubt that like they're not doing what's best for humanly, right? And when you have that baseline of trust and understanding and benefit of the doubt and all, what, whatever else you want to loop into that, right? But when you're building off of that, yeah, we're going to have issues. But I, I've never questioned that it's coming from a bad place or it turns into something bigger than just figuring out a, a different way of doing it. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And I'm just, just curious, like, so how do you get there? So for it sounds like you folks have, you know, you work together, your previous company, you've built kind of this rapport, this relationship, even with your, your other co-founder, Brian, how do you get there? Is it just years? How do you get trust? Because that's a big, yeah. that, that to me, in the, in, especially in the business world, is a huge component around respect and empathy and yeah. really inclusive values and language. So how do you get that? Do you, do you have to have kids that are the yeah. same age is the question. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, that's a really into that. I'd love to see that study. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um yeah, so and Brian and I did know each other um probably for about um about 18 years now. So there was was a foundation when we first met each other. I wouldn't necessarily say that the the trust was just 
automatically there and, and Andrew as well. So it did, it did take time. I think we had the benefit that we had had time to build that before we started the company together. Not to say you have to do it that way, but we had kind of already had a lot of rapport building, a lot of like situations that were tough at our previous companies or that we went through together and kind of just learned how people operate. Being transparent with one another and transparency to me isn't just giving everyone all the information, but it's paying them the respect of bringing them along on your journey with you. And I, I think we always do that. So we, so that's one way we build trust. Um, you know, spending a lot of time together, uh, at cheap hotels that we were traveling <laughs> yeah. and going to the like lunches and dinners together. Um, being the journey, vulnerable. I mean, yeah, yeah being vulnerable yeah. and humble too. Like my first immediate thought is just like this year, two and a half years of us on, on Prem and Brian delivering on doing things they said they're going to do, you know, like I can't but have that right. respect when I see what they do, right? It's kind of the first of all, but then also when we don't deliver, when we have those challenges, when we make mistakes, like being able to be vulnerable enough and admit it, right? That I need help or that I screwed this up or I need you to jump in and do that, right? Which I, I we have, I, I would hope all founding teams have, right? But I do think it's, something that that we really build on. I'd love to ask you folks, this is kind of a twofold question, but um, I'm kind of known for asking a lot of questions at once. Do you use your own product and software within your own team when you're hiring folks or bringing folks on? And then have there been any kind of massive, not maybe massive surprises or reflections around things that, that come up from using your product and in, in the in kind of the process that folks go through, are there any biases that come up that show up that you're like, oh, that's interesting. That surprises me a little bit. Yeah, so we do use our own product, and actually, it measures when people are asking two part Ooh. questions in interviews or one part. And so, so yeah. What do you do with someone yeah. who asks a lot of two part questions? What, <laughs> what should we yeah, do? What's the protocol for that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you in the after show, but um, the uh, no, so so we do it, and it's actually a good learning for us because there are some things that even though we're building this thing, there are when you shine a light on certain aspects, it can be tough for for folks to necessarily take the feedback in that way. So as we sell to our customers, we're kind of also learning you know, how that change management works. Um, what, how, what should the privacy levels be? What type of data probably shouldn't go out to everyone and should be um, used, um, you know, personally. So that that's some of the thing, things we, um, you know, so internally, um, you know, so I've noticed things about myself, like I will speak too quickly, or sometimes when I'm interviewing a candidate that is a product manager and has the same background as I, I do, I can get less patient um, than if it's someone in an area that I just don't know anything about. So I think being able to, to really examine our behaviors, and it can be a challenge too, when you're, we had this at our previous company as well, when we are so mission driven the the mission is a, is an aspiration but it can cause ourselves to hold one, uh, us ourselves it can cause ourselves to hold ourselves to just a really high standard which like if anyone says anything that is maybe a gendered language or ageist language so we try and we were all human um and we try and build that into like our our how we deal with things it's it's not that we have to always be perfect but how do we get better based on it as we'd hope our customers would get better better based on what they're learning as well. Um, 
Uh, yeah, my my other quick learning that has been part of the journey for me is like when I get and Prim talks about this in the Mariners, but like for me, I talk to a candidate that's based in Sacramento, like me, and I immediately talk about the Sacramento Kings, affinity bias, Chinese yeah. place, Kings, oh. and like yeah. yeah, and like to me, I've always thought, oh, like building rapport with folks like this, like it's good, right? You want that, whether it's an interview or another setting, right? But you fail to realize is like, hey, if I'm spending 20 minutes of the 30 minute interview talking about Sacramento, not only is it shooting up my sentiment towards the candidate, but I'm getting less important questions being asked to that Sacramento candidate than if someone was from Reno, right? And they would have been measured and judged completely differently, right? And then the other piece is, is the rapport building or my ability to build that with you really what's going to drive the best candidate? My wife's a special ed teacher. So like, folks on the autism spectrum, right? Like they can't build rapport the same way, you know, typically developing people can, right? But like, does that actually make them a worse candidate if they can't build, it might feel different if I'm not building rapport at the beginning of an interview, but like if they're an engineer coding, that has no bearing on whether they're going to be a great engineer, right? So part of it is right. checking not just your own biases, but bringing awareness to just everyday things that might be bringing things like that to light. Andrew, you just touched upon something that I, I really wanted to ask was how has humanly.io considered the AI associated with things like um, accents or linguistics, language, neurodivergent candidates, folks on ASD, right, the autism spectrum disorder, or even folks that may have a speech disorder. How, what kind of yeah. thoughts have you given um, to, of that to humanly.io? Building ethical AI starts with the team. So one of my OKR goals is I want a team that's 50% people of color, 50% women. We also have folks that are neurodivergent as well on our team. The other piece is we're not actually grading candidates. So our system is ensuring that that the recruiter or the hiring manager or the interviewer is being consistent. So we can tell like the small talk example, are you doling out the empathy building opportunity, which is small talk um, in equal parts to uh, folks or or just making sure you're keeping it limited because, you know, some folks might. And as we think about our tools and the tools we use, so we are looking at tools like there's a tool called Robust Intelligence, which can actually a third party tool, which can look at our algorithms and make sure that there's no bias creeping into the decisions we're making. So I think it is important to, you know, the training data we use. So ensuring that what comes in is, is supporting and to answer your questions about accents and um, maybe different. So we, we do have a, a linguistics PhD that's one of our advisors. So we do have that as well as an IO psych that um, that was very important for us as a startup. It's tough to do that, to get, but we made it important so that we are accounting for those different ways people speak. And if we can't account for something, so if we can only account for like five different accent varieties or something like that, then we're not using that model to um, to actually make decisions um, because it's not comprehensive enough. So that's generally some of the things we, uh, and it's a very good question. So um, relating to advice, what type of uh, advice would you provide from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens that you would want to give to an entrepreneur starting out in the startup space? 
Yeah, I think um, intentionality, right? Like hat, it is going to be harder to build a conscious business, to go out and hire a diverse team. It's a fact. It's harder. It takes more work. It It's going to stress you out more. You're going to have to bring in other folks that maybe aren't sitting within your network, right? But for you to truly be an organization that everyone wants to aspire to be and and to be the best version of you and your your organization, it's well worth the commitment it takes, right? Yeah, I don't know, Prem, if you have. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it starts from a place of of just being, um, you know, authentic about it. Like we we know, like we are, we are just not to plug ourselves, but we're just up for a Geekwire um, UX design of the I year saw award. But the re- reason, yeah, yeah, the reason why we. Th- Thank you. The reason why, the like, literally the reason why we're up for that award is because we have a more diverse team. And that started with hiring a diverse team that's building a user experience that is inclusive and is accessible. So, so I guess knowing authentically that by taking the time to build your team in that right way, that you're actually building a higher performing, a better team that can represent your customers better. So I think being authentic about that, um, knowing that you can't do everything at once, there's a lot going on in the world as it relates to on the social side, um, anti-racism and, and you, you can't solve all of that as one company um, and as one technology, even this takes much more. So I think just being honest with yourself and being okay with not, not fixing everything, but um, making small steps. So I, I see that a lot of people that are building businesses like this, that do get challenged because they kind of feel they have to do everything. But um, you know, I, I think um, starting small and then the other piece is, you know, just, just getting started. That, that's kind of the hardest step with any business, um, but not having that, that um, I, I guess not thinking about would I regret doing this, but thinking about would I regret not mm. doing this and then going out and, and taking sure. those steps forward. So those are all great advice. Cool. Well, we're very happy that the two of you found each other and you found the, the third co-founder and got together because we think that the product that you're building is is, is very impressive and has such great potential to help people uh, and, and eliminate bias with, you know, certainly within the interview process, but also in, in a lot of other use cases down the line uh, as well. So Prem Kumar, Andrew Garner, thank you so much for joining us on the Inclusive Collective podcast. It was a joy to have you thank and you. Uh, we learned so much. So thanks yeah, so much. Thank you, folks. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. I had a great time chatting with you all. Thank you. All right, Nadia, we are back. Yes. After our conversation with Prem and Andrew. So this is the part of the show where we have a conversation and we share our reflections. Yes. That is called Converflection. Converflection. For us. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to Converflect. I love that. Are we trademarking this? We have not. Yes, we. it's already done. We. Yeah, let's not give anyone any ideas out there, right? <laughs> so you know I did a lot of research on marriage for these Founders episodes, right? And right. so I'm going to bore you with a couple more things, right? So the top reasons that marriage end include a perceived lack of commitment, incompatibility, communication problems, financial incompatibility, and conflicts over family responsibilities. That sounds a lot like what happens to failed founder relationships. One of the things that I picked up on was the trust that these these founders had in one another and in their third co-founder as well. Andrew talked about the trust that he had in his co-founders and how he saw them deliver over and over again over a long period of time in their previous work experience. And and then also how they had bonded over some around their around some of their shared values, like their commitment to their family, 
And so to me, high trust environments are inclusive environments, uh, leaders that are authentic and they create environments with a high degree of psychological safety and trust. And I really see a lot of that in, in the two of them. What did you, did you pick up on that as well? Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from the conversation. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like trust is a foundational kind of, you know, value or behavior uh, to in any sort of relationship, mar- including marriages, right? <laughs> including, including friendships, Rob. Even like, in, in, trust in, each other <laughs> in every great relationship. Yeah, every great absolutely. Relationship. So, so, so give us two to three things that leaders, organizations can do to build trust with those that they're working with uh, in order to create that inclusive environment. Sure. Um, so the first one I think is, you know, taking the time to establish rapport with colleagues and a, an example of that could be like igno- acknowledging the weight of the world or the weight of the workload. Right. Um, right. Right. Acknowledging things that maybe like are important to someone um, or really taking the time to understand maybe even work styles or work style preferences. Um, and I'll give you even more of a tactical a tactical example. We just got off the just got on this call earlier, and you know it's the month of Ramadan, and you had said Happy Ramadan. Are you guys celebrating? And that to me, you're acknowledging something that I value, that I believe in, that um, is important to me, without really me even having to remind you, which is kind of cool. And you're just checking in, so that to me drives inclusion and a sense of belonging for myself. That's um, a that's a great one, and I just these founders they're they're running at a hundred miles an hour, and just you know how important it is to take time and 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 acknowledge those things that are important to the the people that are working with you, either co-founder or the team that you're building. Right. The second tip is you know flexing your leadership style. So every leader um, has usually typically one or two styles that they preference more. And understanding that the teams that you're creating or building or people that you're working with your colleagues, you'd need to flex to their style, right? To their preference. And so really having that agility and ability to flex to really um, maybe have better coaching conversations, better direction, clearer direction, um, and and just better, uh, more interpersonal connection and, and interactions. I love that. And I think we saw some of that as well. I don't, I haven't taken, uh, I'm given Prem and Andrew an assessment. And I don't know yeah. their leadership styles, but they, they seem like different people, right? And yeah. I think that they both have that ability to think about decisions from the other person's perspective in a way that uh, is, is very productive and, and helps them make decisions and then avoid conflict or, or, or mitigate conflict when it arises yeah. in, their, in, their, in their company. Absolutely. And, you know, even to that point of flexing your leadership style, um, a lot of that is is then looked at as, you know, creating kind of this fabric within you want to create a climate where people feel inclusive. So leadership styles kind of translates to climate. A lot of people see that connection and the climate that you want to foster tends to be part of the fabric of the culture that you're trying to create. And then the third tip is, you know, as leaders, it's really important in reflection. And it's really important on when you are put in a maybe a stressful situation to take the time afterwards to say, how did I react? How did I engage? How did I navigate 
the either the difficult conversation, the difficult, stressful situation. Could I have done something differently? Um, and, and that's also including com- in coaching conversations, right? I think oftentimes our biases show up in conversations. And so being able to reflect and take that time to reflect um, the intention around reflection is really, really critical to further strengthen in building trust with your colleagues. So good. So good. And I think there's a lot of great practical advice there. And and, and there are several other things oh. that uh, that folks can do as well. So we just picked out two to three. So that thanks for that. You know, for me, it was an example of all the parallels of using that inclusive communication. I think that that Prima and Andrew brought, so even the, some of the tips that you just gave us, I think that we heard them throughout the conversation. And so really great way to kick off our segments on founding team relationships. And so thank you for that as well, Nadia. Absolutely. And thanks to Andrew and Prem and, and Humanly.io for joining us in the conversation today. Yeah, it was fantastic. Thanks so much. You can find us on Instagram. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media. Thanks for joining. I'm Rob. And I'm Nadia. We'll see you next week.